Choice and Control is a podcast celebrating meaningful inclusion of people with disability in our communities. Brought to you by Carers Queensland, your NDIS local area coordination partner in the community. Each episode provides a conversation space for people with disability, their families and carers to share their stories with you. We also hear from members of the wider community, local businesses and community leaders who share information, ideas and possibilities to give you more opportunity and more choice and control in your life. Every year on the 3rd of December, people around the world take part in International Day of People with Disability, a day to celebrate the contributions and achievements of people with disability and promote awareness, understanding and acceptance in our community. In this episode, we continue our celebration of International Day of People with Disability and talk to three speakers who share their experience of running successful personal businesses. Laura Skur is an experienced accountant, bookkeeper and business manager who runs her own online virtual assistant business and after many years of experience in the business sector, now shares her skills in her role with YConnect, a branch of the YWCA. We started by asking Laura about the beginnings of her career and how her journey led her to managing a resort on a small island off the coast of Brisbane. After finishing high school in 2005, I went to uni and studied a Bachelor of Commerce, Bachelor of Business. So got through that okay, did reasonably well with my marks um, and then started looking for a graduate accounting position. Nothing radical considering what I'd studied the marks I'd gotten. And then after that, I started looking for jobs. After 170 job applications for graduate accounting positions, um, I finally landed a job as a executive assistant for the FKG Turatumba. Um, so not an accounting role, very much an administrative role, um, providing support for the organisers. It was a not-for-profit business. They essentially ran out of money about, well, ran out of money in the wages budget, shall we say, um, about two months before the event, so I continued on mostly in a voluntary capacity. You know, I'm the sort of person once I start a project, I can't just leave it, I need to see it through to the end. And during the event period, I was working 70 hours a week for about 21 days straight. Mm. So any seven-day period in that 21 days, I did about 70 hours. Great experience, but, you know, as a young 20-year-old, I wanted to go out and find paid employment. So I went back to applying for jobs for a short period, got really dissatisfied and disgruntled with the responses I was getting from it employers 
Um, and while I've been at the Turatumba, I've learned a little bit about the Australian virtual assistance industry. So I started doing a little bit of research, found out that unlike the overseas industry, the Australian industry charged what I considered at the time to be a, a sustainable hourly rate for their services, found that there was a, a, um, a demand for that sort of service. So I set up my virtual administration business, Toowoomba's Business Solutions, through Nice. And that was in 2015 to provide in a range of admin services. I do meeting minutes for one client. I do document editing, um, a large range of tasks, really. So I was happily doing that and I looked into doing, getting my bookkeeping license to expand my business. I needed a thousand hours of bookkeeping experience, um, which I either had to get as a paid employee or as a volunteer. So I started doing my uncle's book work. He'd had an electrical contracting business since the early 1980s. He'd been running successfully, so I started doing his book work. I got a job with a local bookkeeper and did that part time whilst also doing my business. And then one day my uncle rang me up, and I just thought it would do with the book work that I'd be doing. And he gets on the phone and he says, Hey, Laura, remember when you were young child about eight years old and you wanted to own your own restaurant and I said yeah John I remember that and he said do you still want to own a restaurant and having no idea what was behind what he was asking or anything and I said yeah, John, but I don't have rocks in my head to open one in Tormig because it was when they'd recently done a major shopping centre redevelopment in Toowoomba and they were literally opening 50 restaurants a week. It had been in the, the local newspaper about a, a fortnight before. I said, you know, you get... I can't do it in that environment. He was living in Redland, John Kutimatla Island, just for some background. Yeah. He says to me, I'm not asking you to have one in Toowoomba. And I said, John, what are you on about? I need more details. And he says, well, I've recently moved to Coochie, as you know. Um, and the local restaurant is on the market. Uh -huh. one, I'm wondering if you want to research it for me with the view of going into business with me. And how did you react to that proposal? <laughs> and 
So I said, yeah, sure, why not? You know, who was up for another challenge? Yeah. So anyhow, we, um, to cut a long story short now, I did some research. We began negotiations and six months later, John and I became the owners of Red Rock Cafe, which was a fully licensed cafe on Kutumatla Island. So I began commuting from Toowoomba down to Kuchimablo. I started off thinking I'd only have to go down like once a week to collect the banking and the majority of what I could do could be done online um, from home, like all of the book work and the, the rostering and the ordering, etc. And time go went by oh, going down two or three times a week. And it's not really like just down the road. It's a two and a half hour car journey plus a ferry ride, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyhow, I spoke to the local real estate agent and I said, I need a rental on the island. So I got an accessible rental on the island and I moved over on the Tuesday, got the keys on the Tuesday. Um, and then on the Friday, what was done at the Coochie Island Resort didn't open for trade. Right. Um, and for John and I, the resort was sort of a good thing because the it wasn't being run as well as you might have hoped. And a lot of the clients that stayed there, even though they had an on-site restaurant, they come and eat with us. Yeah. You know, we provide a bad service. So anyhow, the, the resort's closed. So John and I decided we should go and talk to the freehold owners to find out what their intentions were. Now, my uncle is a brilliant man, but he has a downside, and that downside is that he doesn't always make quick decisions. Right. <laughs> he's, not, he's certainly not known for making quick decisions. So we going to this meeting with the freehold owners and we're sitting there talking numbers and I'm sitting there knowing what what the rent for my for our cafe is, etc. And they're telling us what the rent will be for the resort for the resort, etc. And I'm sitting there thinking this will be a nice little challenge for someone knowing the market, etc. Lo and behold, my uncle opens his mouth and out pops the words, we want to take it on. Can you please have the contract drawn up? Okay, so you've gone from a cafe now to a resort. And I'm sitting there thinking sort of he was too far away to kick under the table. 
probably think, leave for him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in front of the owner sort of saying to Johnny, John, do you want to talk about this and then we can go to the next step? Because obviously you can't have a frank and honest conversation in front of the owners. No, not eat law will manage. So overnight we became literally overnight. But this wasn't even on the radar when I woke up that morning. Um basically committed to taking on this this additional business with 10 holiday units, a separate villa and bunkhouse and a separate restaurant, swimming pool, the lot. So it takes usually around eight weeks for a liquor licence to transfer, which we knew from Rudolph. We weren't given those eight weeks of luxury. We got an interim licence. I think the contract was about four weeks. And the place had really been run into the ground. The rooms were absolutely filthy beyond belief. Took professional cleaner two days per unit to clean it. They quoted me four hours, I think it was, and it took two days per unit. Mm. Um, the restaurant took about a week to get it cleaned. So, Lauren, um, you, you took all yeah. of this on as the yeah. administrative manager yeah. of it all? We had no we had no contact with the previous owners. We couldn't transfer the phone number. We had to get a new phone number. I had to recreate the website. It took months, literally months, to sort out booking.com and get control of that. Um, thankfully, we still had accommodation guests through ringings and new advertisements. Um, so, yeah, I was then running both of the businesses. Um, one, we, we changed the format slightly to Red Rock Cafe. We ran through the day, breaking lunch. Um, so five days a week, and then five nights a week we did meals up at the wastes. All going well. I turned it around. We had a reputation. We'd just done a wedding for ninety people up at Oasis. Really brilliant wedding. Completely gluten free for menu. And then COVID hit about three weeks after that. Ah, uh, yes, the dreaded COVID. So we hung on as long as we could. The lease came up on Red Rock and we we didn't renew the lease for Red Rock. We'd had it closed during the takeaway only period because Coochie really, Although there's around 700 residents, it really is a, a tourist destination and we relied on the tourists to, to, to cover our costs. 
Um, so we climbed through rocks and decided to focus on Oasis. Um, that was in the January we closed that. Um, in the March, I got whooping cough. Mm. And it didn't get diagnosed for about a month. And I kept going to the doctors coughing and saying something isn't right. They kept telling me I had asthma. And I was, you know, asthma isn't contagious, so I just kept working. I was absolutely exhausted, but I sort of just thought, oh, well, they're telling me they're, they're telling me there's nothing wrong. It must all be in my head. They didn't know what it was. They didn't diagnose it for a month. I kept working. A month in, they I sort of said to the doctor, look, there's something else going on. Can you please do a blood test? I want to know what it is. Came out positive for herping cough. And she says, Oh, well, you're a month in, you're no longer contagious. Um, we can't get any meds, it won't make a difference. Just you'll be right in about another four weeks. You'll cough for another four weeks. So I went home and I thought, Right, well, I've, I've coped for the last four weeks, by this stage, you know, we're still having lockdowns down in Brisbane, working on skeletal staff. I couldn't get staff, so I was working in, I was serving customers and taking orders at night, um, still running all the paperwork and everything, nothing let up. So I kept going. I thought, you know, I've done a month. It's only another month. I can do this. I'll keep going. Keep pushing through. But... So the month ended. I was better for about 10 days and I caught a virus. And that pattern just continued for about a number of free viruses more lockdowns, we desperately, we didn't, my main chef had left, I'd employed another cook during all this illness period, he hadn't worked out at all, my barista was having health issues and needed to leave, I'd set up interviews for more staff. No one would show up for their interviews because it's a remote area. And at the time, there were critical staff shortages in hospitality. Um, and I would do two run down and worn out to to continue fighting at all and I just had to go to the landlord who had been amazing through COVID and they were still amazing when I rang them up and I said look I'm sorry we can't do it we can't get staff and I'm just too sick to be able to go on so yeah. we closed which is sad um, I returned to Woomba. I still had a 
my, I live with my mum in Toowoomba, so I can't, and mum had been coming over to help me run it and to help with my personal care, etc. Um, we returned home, had a bit of a rest, and the YWCA rang me up. The early stages of establishing the Y Connect program, which is a program for women and gender diverse people living with disabilities to develop their professional, sorry, to increase their professional development skills. So they offer a range of programs from boosting confidence, computer classes, um, budgeting classes, how to find jobs, how to talk to employers about your disability, etc., etc., etc. And how long and have then, you been with Y Connect for? So I started at the end or rather at the beginning of 2022, end of 21, beginning of 2022, um, they invited me on to their organising committee and it's just snowballed from there. So I run some of their programs. I've been doing peer networking events with my fellow um, colleagues with disabilities, Thorndike and Elise Nellian, and originally Sharon Boyce. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, we've been running peer networking sessions. I've been developing and running the um, computer classes for about, I think we're up to our fourth lot of them at the moment that I'm delivering now. Um, and they, I became a money-minded coach through ANZ and I've been doing budgeting sessions as well and delivering them. So, yeah. And when, with your work in Y-Connect, what's the area that you find your skills are needed the most in? Oh, interesting question, Tracy. Um, I think developing confidence in people's skills and abilities. Um, what's really brilliant about Y Connect, and I wish it had been set up in Toowoomba years ago when I was looking for it, is that we're also working with employers and trying to break down barriers at that end as well. So not only upskilling um, the people with disability um, to ensure that they're able to work, but also trying to get to the bottom of why employers don't employ people with disabilities and trying to give them the tools and confidence to to go down that path and, and consider employing a person with a disability. I think that's really critical. And that was Laura Skurr. If you'd like to learn more about Laura's story, visit our website, 
carersqld.com.au forward slash IDPWD. Real inclusion of people with disability is led by people with disability and acknowledges the diversity of disabilities in our communities. Be an inclusion ally this International Day of People with Disability. And look for books, music, film, TV, podcasts and social media created by people with disability. Support events and live performances created by or featuring people with disability. If you can't find anything, ask. Let the broadcasters, publishers and event organisers know there's demand for content by creators with disability. Listen to learn rather than respond, even if what you hear challenges your assumptions. And include people with disability in important conversations and decisions for your business, club, sports team or community group. Be a part of building a future Australia that is more accessible and inclusive for everyone. After completing an environmental management degree, nature enthusiast Matthew Townsend went on to create his own business, Nature Freedom, and is committed to designing and facilitating nature-based activities that are inclusive and fully accessible to everyone, irrespective of their abilities. We started by asking Matthew about what motivated him to start Nature Freedom. I've recently graduated at University of Queensland with a Master in Environmental Management back in 2016 um, because I have a bit of passion um, in environmental sustainability and outdoor space. So, um, so from there, when I graduated uni and I struggled trying to get employment uh, where I'm really passionate about because that's the part of my career journey. You can something like I turn hobby into job, you know. Um, so what happened back then, uh, I see there's a lack of, a, of understanding about my disability when I was applying for jobs and getting the interviews and all that kind of stuff. So hey, even uh, understanding from the employer perspective that I need skills and experience. So I have acquired that um, during my study. I did um, internship, paid work experience, and, and lots of volunteers and all of that. So I thought I was on track for that. So, but when it coming down to understanding about neurodiversity, it wasn't really much of a thing back then. Um, so that was come down to the barrier uh, for me to access to employment. So um, not until 2017, I just decided to start my business, Nature Freedom. So I was because people were thinking about um, like, oh, why not hire yourself? And then that turned out what's, what's happened today. So, um, but down the track, um, meanwhile, um, what's turned this becoming more ambitious um, because um, one having track record, a bit in experience and more um, couple consultation job and I have to be relating to accessibility um, and I have proven that I am more employable than, than I was just leaving university. So um, I had a couple jobs so within the local government and Queensland government um, in the early days um, and that was my um, traction of my 
um, well, you know, credibility, the part of your resume um, has been built since then. So I'm still able to maintain that at the same time, um, running Nature Freedom at the same time. So um, all that um, work experience does help me um, to build more experience for all the other jobs I'd apply for. Um, it turned out I have not faced any challenges in getting hired. Um, I find it really interesting because um, it's at the same time, um, employers uh, actually have more sympathy and understanding where you're coming from, who is your disability, that has an understanding of your disability. Um, that's what I learned about being authentic about who I am, especially in my application interview. That's what I have changed. And of course, it's about experience as well. So, so my first job was 2017 with the Brisbane City Council working in the um, environmental initiative team, like the Green High School program, the Brisbane Festival. Um, I had the opportunity to meet, um, what's his name, Dr. Carl. So mm. um, I was a part of that experience. So this role was quite temporary because it's not a cover, it's just a project time. And then um, I ended up working for the um, Department of Community Services um, just a couple of years later, um, just the end of 2019 before COVID. Um, it was another temp job. It's nothing to do with COVID. So I work with disability services in uh, um, Disability Connect, um, what they used to call that. Yeah. It's different now. Uh, working on reviewing um, training program, industrial awareness for disability, working in employment target with all um, or HEC Department of Queensland Government and, and Disability Action Plan. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I ended my contract one week earlier because of COVID come really rampant at the time in March that year. So um, I wasn't employed again until later that year with Jigsaw Australia at the Microbat Hub. Um, that was a very early day that started Jigsaw there. Um, I was the part of a regional team trainer in there helping people with disability to be more, um, you know, more skillful in their role, the work experience. So I was part of the dream team, what I call, because we're the first five trainers um, helping out with that first launch. So I was there for a couple of years. So that was my longest employment experience so far. It was an attempt. Um, but it was casual um, because I was balancing out with national freedom at the time. And then um, I didn't have any job until early this year. I work with social trader. Uh, it's a Kikavai and social enterprises. So I support the ecosystem of that. So that's my role um, with them to support Kikavai social enterprise members on this experience. Um, and that's for business and government members to help them understand social procurement and um, social enterprises themselves as well. So it's my favourite job so far in my career. Yeah, nothing close to environmental kind of the background I am involved with and passionate about. I still, in my mind, not so far back in my mind, it did almost close to the mind. So um, it's the permanent full-time, well, almost full-time, it's 0.8. Um, 
salary, proper salary, my first kind of salary job. Uh, so I able to maintain work between that and Nature Freedom. Um, but the good thing is we've got Nature Freedom have grown this year with our three team members working together, um, volunteers around, I think, 15 to 20 volunteers. So um, I feel like I can step back a little bit and let the, the team do themselves. But I'm still leading the managing side of the business. It's not as much I was responsible on everyone else's role over the years. So um, because I was to like meet the do everything kind of person back then, yeah. but not anymore. So what is it about being in nature that is so beneficial? Yeah. Yeah, so we have a lot of feedback and um, and a little bit of testimonial from our clients over the couple of years uh, because we started collecting that information just honestly. It's quite unique for themselves about how they share their experience, especially on the bushwalk. It's about connection with our um, fauna and fauna being present about what they see about koalas, for example, it's get them talking about the koala and the field experience. It's a lot about sensory experience integrated in our activity. Um, so it's really helped them to, the mental side of the mind is really clicking them um, mm. because it's about mind exercise. So that's usually the program around the world called Nature Bathing. So um, that's the part of that. It's not therapy. It's really being the person, part of the group with other people, shared experience together. That's kind of social inclusion. It's a part of that equation. So, um, and the other one is paddle. When you go on a kayak canoe, it's the same. When you feel the mangroves and the pools and the sand, maybe it's the crab, dugong, um, we're always joking around about a crocodile, but we never expect to see it anyway. But that's the part of the experience. They need to uh, feel that because if they, if they don't have that, the problem is they won't learn everything. It's, it's a little bit of capacity building integrated as social experience um, because it's about learning about their purpose. So it's really meaningful for them. No, it's something like um, that. What could be had a passion developing marine environment. They want to be a marine scientist or they want to help uh, litter prevention on our beaches and ocean. It's all that opportunity. It can happen to these people um, who join us. Um, yeah, and then same with people without disability who come along, they learn more about them as well. It's about creating more awareness where people take away to their home or workplace or their own community share their story, what it is like about them in the community. So um, that's it's a very big tick. So that's a part of our um, pitch deck, sharing that experience. And that was Matthew Townsend. And if you'd like to learn more about Matthew's story, visit our website, carersqld.com.au forward slash IDPWD. LAC Connect. It's a new way to stay in touch with your local area coordinator, Carers Queensland, with everything you need right here on your device. 
It's a handy app to keep track of your LAC appointments, browse workshops and events, check out information and support and get the latest news, stories and podcasts. It's available on Android and iOS, so whatever device you have, you can stay in touch. Head to our website to sign up at carersqld.com.au and look for LAC Connect. Gimpy musician Aspie Jones is a prolific songwriter who writes tunes about his unique perspective on life, good mental health and the difficulties he's faced as he's learned to live with autism and anxiety. With the goal to also become a professional music therapist in the future, we started by asking Aspie about his journey so far. I've just finished my, um, my semester for uni. Just, just, wrapped, just wrapped that up yesterday, so I'm going to have a, a lot more free time on my hands, which is going to be taken up by mostly getting ready for the new year and doing a lot of planning and stuff like that. So, but it's nice, to, it's nice to finally be done with it. It's been a pretty hectic semester. What were you studying? So I do a, I do a bachelor's degree in contemporary music practice. That's kind of, um, so I need a music degree. So what I want to do is a music therapy course. So I have, to, I have to get a degree in music in order to start the course in music therapy. It, I guess the, the easiest way for me to explain it is because is music therapy is kind of like, a, it's under the umbrella of like psychology. So technically you just, you're a psychologist that just plays an instrument if that's, yeah, so you kind of need to do the same training as well as being good at the music you play, which which I, I understand, but yeah, it kind of, it does kind of, it takes a lot of people back when I say that because they just go, oh, so you're going to have to do another three years. They're like, yeah, it's not, it's not ideal, but it's, but it's going to be, it's going to be worth it, hopefully. So take me back to how you decided to do this. So where does your journey start with figuring out you wanted to do music therapy? So I actually didn't know because originally my, because um, I did, I started an apprenticeship. After, once I left high school, I did an apprenticeship in baking for two years. And that was a, that was roughly, it's a four year apprenticeship. So I did that for two years. And then after that, I then decided to move to Brisbane from Gympie and do the, just do the, the course that I'm doing now just to kind of fill space and kind of figure out what else that I wanted to do. And I didn't even know that music therapy was a thing until we did one of um, one of my units. And then I saw that and I went, oh, that actually looks really interesting, looked into it and then decided that that's something that I wanted to work towards. And that and, that, and the rest is history. That's where we're at. At the time, like people who do music, like 90% of the time, they either kind of go into the industry or they teach which is kind of and I'm not I, I'm a pretty I'm not a great teacher I think that was the thing that kind of made me a little bit nervous was I was there thinking oh god I I'm not I'm not a I'm I don't have um I don't have the patience of a teacher I'm a very patient person but when it comes to like repeating myself often it's kind of that that's where I kind of get stumped up a little bit. So I think I think music therapy was a was a great um path for me to take. How did you get into music? I've always been a singer, but I've only just been playing guitar since I was um since oh, probably 
probably a lot later. I didn't really pick up the guitar like fully until I finished high school. And so I was probably about um, 17, 18 at the time. And that's when I like picked up guitar like seriously. But I've always been singing, but it was, yeah, I haven't really been a, I haven't really been like a taught muso for a very long time, but I've been a, a natural, um, I guess, musician for my whole life. I was self-taught at the beginning when I started to learn guitar at 17, and then I kind of like, rolled on and decided that there was definitely stuff there that I couldn't learn by myself, so then I started to take actual lessons um, through playing guitar, and then at the same time I decided that maybe I should be taking singing lessons as well. Um, because at, at the time, when you when you when you're a natural singer, you don't really you don't really think about it all that much. But if you want like longevity in your voice, it's very important to kind of learn how to sing properly instead of just whatever feels comfortable. I see like between when I started taking singing lessons and now, there are huge um, there's huge differences in kind of not only like the way that it sounds, but the way that you feel. Because um, when, I, when I started playing music, I would play for maybe three or four hours. And that was before um, I took lessons. And then like after, after about four hours, I'd feel kind of husky and it would kind of, for maybe like a day or two, I'd be a little bit croaky and a, bit, a little bit hoarse and whatever. And then, but then after taking lessons, you kind of, you notice that, and like bad habits that you didn't notice before you start to fix them up and then you can kind of you don't really feel much of anything when you do three to four hours now because it's obviously because i'm doing it properly and i'm doing it the way that i should be doing it rather than just yelling into a microphone because that's what i think sounds good look at us look at where we are from Narrow halls to chasing stars And if you fight your life You can get back home tonight And she'll pass you through a window Look at us, look at where we are There was one bag and six in a car Go cut the head off a mountain what you want and the light will guide you home we're growing old and no there's no slowing down it's, it's written in the stars it's tearing me apart the days are long and the years are short that's what I've learned so far look at us look at where we are when you decided to make the change, how did you go about pursuing music full time? Because I, I knew one or two people that went to this kind of it was like it's like a, it was a pseudo music school in Gympie. It was called the Australian Institute of Country Music, and I, like I said, I knew two people that went there, and they were they were like just about the same age as me, and that was where it kind of. Um, where the idea came from where we're like, oh, okay, well, if I want to do music, then maybe I should be going here. And that was, that was kind of like the first step because I had no, um, I had absolutely no performing experience whatsoever. 
um, outside of high school, like none. It was really like, because I didn't even do music in high school. I had like no experience with it at all. And it was, yeah, so we, it was, it was strange because it, it just kind of opened my eyes to this, um, this whole, I guess, it's just like teaching, like just being taught, like what to say on stage, how to look on stage, what to do and stuff that you would never like think of. And that was kind of, that was the first step to doing that. And they had a great, um, they had a great program in that same school where it was, they teach you all those things that I just said, and then they would kind of, then once they thought you were ready, they'd probably put you with um, another group of kids and you'd learn to play a few songs together. And then they would take you up on stage and you would play a song um, at the RSL. And that was, and that was the only, and occasionally somewhere else like the muster, which is a festival they did once a year. But other than that, that was kind of the only, um, experience you'd get on stage but it was still it was better than nothing absolutely and that was I I definitely wouldn't be in the same place I am now if I didn't do it how did you become you know quite successful in your own right playing with your siblings and telling your story through music how did that all come about I think it was I think it came down to I think the biggest strength was kind of finding finding the audience. And I think one of the greatest strengths I discovered was um, early on was when I was writing, not the people that were relating to what I was talking about in the songs. It wasn't always people that were on the spectrum. It was people that like, whether they were, whether they're undiagnosed or whatever, but it was people that um, could just genuinely, genuinely relate to stuff that might have sounded weird um to them but was totally normal to someone with asd and it was kind of just like oh they were kind of just like they were just relating really hard to like how like how sometimes it's it's okay to be like kind of awkward and like what are you gonna what are you gonna do when you get older and kind of just like learning and experience and um, I think that was definitely the. I was a big, I was a big player in how I started off and finding my audience, kind of thing. Because it's not, it's kind of. I like to think that it's, um, it's very like easy listening, and it's kind of one of the. It's one of those things that, like, when you find the right people that like, because every every type of music has its audience. But I think I was just really lucky to find um a good like a good place on the sunny coast and in brisbane and gympie that had um people that were interested in what i was singing about and what i had to say and that was aspie jones and if you'd like to learn more about Aspie's story, visit our website, carersqld.com.au forward slash IDPWD. Thanks for joining us at Choice and Control, a Carers Queensland podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and review and share it with your community. For more information about the National Disability Insurance Scheme or Carers Queensland, contact us online, carersqld.com.au or call us on 1300 999 636 or head to Facebook and look for Carers Queensland NDIS.